sin, such a thing as conflict, such a thing as wrongness or things not being the way they should. There's a thing, such a thing as going too far. There's such a thing as letting people down. And when we do that, of course, there's an opportunity for forgiveness, just as God has forgiven us, ultimately in Christ, an opportunity for us to forgive others or to be forgiven. So forgiveness is such an important subject. It's one that gets so close, just as we saw in Ephesians this morning, to the heart of God and what he is doing uh, in this world and in our lives. Now, it's maybe a simple thing to say, (laughs) we ought to be a forgiving people. But I think there's a couple ways in which uh, we sometimes have not quite a, a biblical view of forgiveness, but a therapeutic view of forgiveness. Meaning that we can view forgiveness as something as that which is necessary for us to feel better or to be more self-actualized or to uh, rise above our circumstances. In other words, therapeutic ultimately meaning for us to feel better about me. Well, unfortunately, if at the core of our concept of forgiveness is for me to feel better about me, then we're missing the point big time. Forgiveness is ultimately about God. And there's a couple ways I think we can get forgiveness a little off because we've seen a lot of Oprah. I I actually am surprised how much Oprah I've seen. Not that I've seen a lot, but you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have cable or anything, so you know, during the summer especially, I just turned the TV on, right? And is either soap operas or those uh <laughs> those talk shows, you know, Maury Povich, um Jerry Springer, uh, Oprah Winfrey, right? <laughs> Are those, do, does any of those ring a bell? I don't know if that's like too old or too young for, <laughs> for, for this uh, audience. But um, when you hear the word forgiveness, so many different ideas and concepts of it exist. It's like the word love. There's so many different definitions and ideas about what love is in this world, but the only one that truly matters It is the one that God describes. And so really, we're going to maybe discuss two aspects of forgiveness. And again, it can be really a discussion. These are things actually that uh, I, not recently as in yesterday, but relatively um, later in my life, have myself, I think, come to sort of see and embrace. And, And the two subjects are forgiveness being transactional and what it means to cover sins, okay? So when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, um, the Bible tells us that it is not something that is, um, forgiveness is a transaction that occurs, or you could put it this way, there's an if and a then to forgiveness. And what does it mean then to practically, as we live life, what does it mean to be practically forgiving people, and, and, and what does it mean to cover a sin then uh, in the context of forgiveness, okay? So <clears throat> just to get it uh, out there, one of the first things you need to do in order to um, even have a concept like forgiveness, you must define sin. I did a little bit of research. Uh, apparently, um, there's a lot of studies that have been done, even amongst animals, where people try to suggest that, that animals have like a concept of, of forgiveness, of, of like reconciliation. But to be honest, the way that the researchers describe the, the tests that do this, it really amounts to um, if it would help me in my long-term survival to get along with you, am I willing to forsake whatever grievance I might have, okay? That's what you see in the animal kingdom is that sometimes because it's more beneficial to work together, if you, you know, stole my food that morning because of some greater survival success we might have if we work together, I'm just going to overlook the fact that you ate my favorite banana or nut or whatever. And the problem with this is A, uh, well, there's a lot of problems with this. Animals are not made in the image of God. You cannot have a meaningful definition of sin without dealing with people who are made in the image of God and are therefore moral creatures. Animals are not moral creatures. 
You know what animals do? I, this is something that really irks me right now is when people make arguments about what is good or right based on what animals do. So animals exhibit certain kinds of behavior, therefore it must be okay for us to exhibit that kind of behavior. So if you know, animals can have multiple partners, well, look, it's only natural that humans would have multiple partners, right? Because it's natural and must be good. Well, you know what? I saw a video a couple of weeks ago of, a, I think it was a stork, right, in a nest, and it just picks up the runtiest, you know, chick and just drops it out of the nest to kill it because, you know, it's just using up resources, you know, is, do we want to get our morality from animals? Well, no. I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. So uh, the very nature of the act of forgiveness, it's, it's, it's insane the lengths that people will go to say that we are just sophisticated animals. No, it only matters if we are made in the image of God. We know we are made in the image of God because the Bible says we are created in God's image, image Genesis 1 and 2. The nature of sin, then, um, is that we are falling short of who God is, right? That's just one definition. You can define it many ways, but if God is the ultimate definition of good, right, perfect, just, then anything that falls short of that <clears throat> is sinful, whether that's a little lie that I tell because that falls short of God's glory, whether that is me to express some kind of unkind word, that falls short, whether uh, lying, murdering, cheating, all of that, because it falls short of who God is, is sin. How can we objectively know what God is like? The Word of God. The Bible alone. Um, if sin is defined by how I feel about something, by cultural um, ideas about something, is there such a thing as sin, as something being absolutely right or wrong. If it's up to how you feel about it, how I feel about it, what our culture says about it, no. So when we deal with sin, we are saying something that has to do with God's nature, falling short of God's nature, and we're saying that, that it is something objective, real, defined, and it's in God's word. So just that's just all foundational. That's what I'm going to mean when I talk about sin. <clears throat> Forgiveness, then, is the means by which those who are separated because of sin, because sin creates a separation. Our sin is a declaration that, God, you're God. I don't like that you're God, and so I'm doing this or that. Um, forgiveness is that which restores that breach, that separation that is created by sin. And so we have, we talked about it this morning, <clears throat> we have that kind of deliverance, we have that price paid through the blood of Jesus, his death, and his resurrection, <clears throat> we have this forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins against God. They can be, they, they can be forgiven. They can be um, covered. They can be paid for by Jesus. Now, when I say then, and there's so many passages then that talk about how we are to forgive others the way that God has forgiven us. And I'll just go to one, but there's, there's so many. Um, you know them, uh, many of them. But uh, Matthew 6, 5 is maybe one of the most memorable because it's in the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, I'll just read, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Um, <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there you have the very notion that if we have been forgiven by God, we ought to be a forgiving people. So what does it mean that we are a forgiving people? What, uh, what does that demand from us? What does that call us to? And I think what I probably would have said um, based on sort of just, you know, the, the culture and things I picked up and even things I heard in church was that we should have unconditional forgiveness, that we should unconditionally forgive someone. So when someone cuts me off on the freeway, you know what? I forgive you. If someone were to harm my child, I would have to say, you know what? I forgive you. 
And to understand forgiveness in that kind of um, doesn't matter what they do, what they think, what they say, they are forgiven by me, no matter what. So uh, just as a you know, quick survey, how many of you would probably lean towards or have thought of forgiveness in that way, that it's just an unconditional thing you do? You just forgive someone. They, of- they offend you, you immediately and ne- necessarily have to forgive them right then and there. So we, one hand, you know, Lean, yeah, okay, few, few, few hands out there. Now, the rest of you, are you bold enough to say, no, I absolutely don't believe that? <laughs> you're probably like, well, maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, maybe your, your view is more like, well, there are some things that I would unconditionally forgive. Well, that, of course, makes it conditional kind of forgiveness. Here's what I'm going to argue, and, and I think some of this might sound like a distinction without a difference, but I do think there is a true difference here in the attitudes, and uh, not not to um, you know not, not to try and and uh, diminish that view or another view. But when we go to First John, in First John verse First uh, John one nine, uh, John writes, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins." And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have a if then, right? What is forgiveness of our sins predicated on? Confession. So if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, The word confess means simply to agree with another person. So if we agree with God, yes, you're right that I am a sinner. Then... (laughs) Uh, and God, you're right that I need to be forgiven, not on the basis of my own good works, but on the basis of Jesus alone, then he will very faithfully, very justly forgive us our sins and continue that work of cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So it does seem like there is a condition. Is there a condition on us being a Christian? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we have to repent and put faith in in Jesus. So uh, that's how we, we get forgiven of our sins is, uh, and be considered a child of God is it must be uh, a transaction there. I do something and God is going to do something. It's not a work. Me confessing and agreeing with God is not a work that I do, you know, that I can get brownie points for. It's not something that I get commended for. <clears throat> it's a simple agreement. God, you're right. This sin in my life is awful and terrible. It's ruining me. It's going to destroy me. You'd be just to send me to hell for this. God, I can do nothing except say, by Jesus' blood alone, can I be forgiven? And, and he will. But there has to be an agreement. There has to be an understanding of what I have done wrong in God's eyes such that I need forgiveness. It's a mild transaction in the sense of it's not like I have to bring to God, you know, 10 hours of community service, and then he will give me such and such. So um, it, it's not as if the transaction, you know, is, is one where I'm bringing a lot to the table, but it is a transaction nonetheless, where I bring to the Lord my agreement that he is right and I'm wrong. <clears throat> so uh, that what, is what we might call like transactional forgiveness, and again, the, the, the goal of forgiveness is to restore a separation. So here I am driving on the road, <clears throat> and some no-namer cuts me off, right, on the freeway. Now, that may or may not be sin. Let's say for the sake of argument that the, the guy did it because he was angry and upset at me, not because they need to urgently get to the you know, to the hospital because their wife is having a baby and, you know, that's not sin on their part. But let's assume for the sake of this argument, this person has an, the stranger has an animosity towards me, doesn't like my car, doesn't like that I wear glasses, whatever it is, and deliberately cuts me off. I swerve, swerve over. He intentionally did it to sin against me. Did I, can I restore the relationship, let's say, with that person, without that person acknowledging that they have done something sinful to me. 
And, and I, I think the argument would be, well, no, our, 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 our relationship would not be restored. Like, this guy has created a hostility between us that I cannot just say, well, I forgive you, and all of a sudden I, I overcome it because that guy is still hating me for whatever reason it is. Now, say we end up at the same uh, church parking lot, <laughs> you, know, open, you know, open our doors, and he realizes I'm the pastor or whatever, <laughs> and then, you know, his countenance uh, changes, okay? Now, is there going to be an opportunity to restore that, the relationship? If I get out and I say, you know, uh, I, I, you, know you kind of cut me off. I don't know your heart. I don't know if you're you know, didn't want to be late for church. You came here at the same time as a pastor, so you're probably okay. Um, but there is an opportunity to figure out, well, was it even sin? From my perspective, I, I didn't know. But if, if there's a, uh, an opportunity there for that person to say, well, yeah, I was angry, upset at you for the X, Y, Z reason. Well, can we sort that out? Because if it was sinful, then of course, there's a, there's a breach between our relationship. But if, if, if you acknowledge that, that sin and, and you ask for forgiveness, well, well, I'd love to, you know, have a restored relationship with you. Um, and so by the nature of forgiveness being a restorative thing, I think we have to say that it's also a transactional thing where there must be, you know, an actual interaction. Whereas I cannot say that our relationship is restored. Just say, I forgive you, brother, you know, even though you, you flip me off for no good reason. <clears throat> so, um, having, having said that, okay, um, well, let me stop there. Does that make sense? Or at least my perspective, you might not have, not have to agree, but do you see kind of where I'm coming from, that, that forgiveness, um, if it is defined as a separation, or if sin is defined as something that separates us, that forgiveness then is that which restores us, and there has to be kind of a, like a mutualness to that. It can't just be one-sided. And we'll get to it in just a second, but what should my attitude be as someone who's been sinned against? Well, my heart attitude, we'll get to this, ought to be anger, what? Bitterness? Upset that you've sinned against me? It should be a willingness and a desire to forgive. <laughs> and, and in the meantime, to be merciful that if this guy cut me off and then brake checks me, but brake checking me, they suddenly slam into the side, you know, to, to the divider. Do I zoom past, laughing my head off? Ha ha, they got what they're coming to them. Or is my attitude what? I ought to pity this, this sinner. I need to pull over. I need to, to help them. It doesn't matter if they sinned against me. Even, it doesn't matter in that moment if they hated me with their whole soul and being for whatever reason. Despite the fact that they sinned against me, I still ought to do good, right? I still ought to show mercy. Yes, Vivian. Right, right, right. So that that so, you know, what if that person takes my act of kindness and helping them, uh, as if it's okay that that person, you know, hated me? Well, you know, <laughs> what I'll, I'll say to that is uh, we have to put ourselves in the shoe of the person that was fl- flipping off and brake checking and all that, because we we are doing that to God, right? <laughs> and God s- stops. When we've made an absolute mess of our lives, you know, God comes, he's offering forgiveness and help to us in our moment of need. Um, despite all that we've done to him, the repentant heart would say, yeah, I, he, God really did not deserve that, and I don't deserve his help. He didn't deserve my scorn, and I don't deserve his mercy right now. I, I should want to ask forgiveness. I mean, that, the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. You know, that's, that's um, oh, I forgot what passage is now. But um, so God is intending by showing us mercy and grace, even though we are defiant sinners, to, 
you know, change our hearts to, to, to make us realize, yeah, I'm, I'm the one that's being kind of awful and a jerk here. Now, if I continue to do that, and we'll get to this in a minute, there is a little bit of a difference between how you deal with another professing Christian and how you would deal with an unbeliever. So, you know, if, not to stretch the illustration too far, but if I I find out that the person who did all this was someone going to our church, um, I, I, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, would, I would give them all the help that they need. I wouldn't probably in that moment bring up, you know, as I'm, you know, pulling them out of, you know, wreckage or whatever, you know, you're kind of a jerk a few minutes ago. And maybe this is all God's judgment on you, you know, for some, no, I, I don't think that's the time for that kind of, Sentiment. I just make sure that they're taken care of. That just overflowing, just like the grace we talked about this morning, which he lavished upon us. I would show a lot of, of grace, but at some point, when they're maybe a little bit better, I would certainly bring up, well, I, you know, brother, do we have a problem? Like, I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I sinned against you. Maybe I did something wrong that elicited such hostility, you know, and and in a, in a way, maybe your anger at me had produced all of this, you know, trouble for you. So I certainly don't want you to get in that situation again. I don't want to be in that situation again. Can we reconcile? Can we restore? I'd definitely bring it up again uh, after that personally. But um, that that is some of the, the the maybe the difference. If it was a non-Christian, I just don't know this person from Adam, um, but you know, find out somehow they're they're not a Christian. Uh, how do we expect non-Christians to act? like non-Christians that are maybe going to be mean and ornery and not be kind at all and discriminate based on race or, or, or age or whatever. I, I mean, I, I don't expect a non-Christian to act um, that right way. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. But having then, so the idea of like, say, a transactional forgiveness that stems from sin being a breach, you know, representing a breach in a relationship between two people, forgiveness is then has as at its core reconciling, restoring, redeeming two people or two parties or whatever together. To me, it's, it seems that forgiveness then should be transactional, that there has to be a recognition. Having said that, of course, that we should be always ready to forgive, to show mercy um, to be kind even in the face of someone who is not asking for forgiveness, maybe doesn't even realize they are sinning. Um, are you following so far? At least from where I stand. You don't have to necessarily believe that, but at least following kind of what, um, what I'm, I'm going for here. <clears throat> there is a clear path uh, as far as the Bible is concerned, the process of forgiveness. We can call it church discipline, but it's that process where, hey, brother, hey, sister, like, you know, what, what have I done wrong? So we'll set that aside for now. I want to now make this a little bit more practical because I think what ends up happening if you start to see forgiveness as, as transactional and not like kind of unconditional is um, the kind of um, stereotype becomes, well, then you're always going to be offended. You know, you're always going to be telling people that they're sinning against you. You're never going to just like let stuff go. You're just always going to be, you know, bristling with, uh, you know, anticipation that someone's offending you. So I'm going to read this scenario. This is from Stuart Scott. It just sets up the scenario that to me was a little bit too close to home. <laughs> but um, his point in, 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 in bringing this up is at what point would you say there was like a sin actually committed? At what point would you say there has to be forgiveness offered, the transaction made? At what point would you say maybe a sin should just be covered, and what would it mean to cover a sin? Okay, so kind of have that in mind. I'm going to read this kind of story to you. I don't think it's real, but again, kind of cuts close to me. Joe and Susan are both professing Christians since their teenage years. They've been married for 12 years and have three children, ages 7, 5, and a newborn. Susan is a homeschooling mom. Joe has one of those management jobs that seems to be an all-consuming job with no end. He brings it home and works on things even at night. This particular day, he woke up late. No time in the Word or prayer in any devotional kind of way. 
A coworker misrepresented him at work that day. His computer had all kinds of problems. He lost some information that he didn't save. One of his extended family members called during the lunch break, and so there goes his lunch in a very frustrating day. He didn't even get a third done on his to-do list. He doesn't even focus or think about the Lord or pray for grace most of the day. On the way home, he can't wait to get home and rest. Traffic is slow. He can't understand why anyone is on the road when he's going home. He can't wait to eat one of his favorite meals that he hinted to his wife on the way out that morning that he would like that night. He's expecting his wife and kids to have no problems when he arrives. In his mind, he was thinking of how they would all greet them when he pulls up and says, we're glad you're home. How can we serve you tonight? He wants a trouble-free night with no inconveniences. Susan has an equally rough day. She didn't rest up all that night with the newborn. None of the children have been very cooperative all day, especially the oldest boy who was in need of discipline most all day. Homeschooling was a complete disaster. She doesn't even have what she would need to fix the dinner that Joe hinted at on the way out in the morning. Half an hour before Joe arrives, a lady at church calls her distraught. She wants to talk about the problem that she was having, and so Susan seeks to minister to her, and she's on the phone when Joe arrives. Joe walks in. The place is a complete mess. The kids seem wild. No aroma of dinner meets his nostrils. Susan is talking on the phone, and Joe assumes she's been on the phone all day. He hurries her off the phone and then asks, what have you been doing all day? Susan responds, I can't believe you would ask such a thing. And Joe responds, well, this is your domain. Obviously, you can't handle it. Maybe you need to go back to work, and we hire someone who can. Susan replies, you self-centered jerk. You're always thinking of yourself. Joe responds, well, who else will think of me? Since when do you ever think of me? I guess I'll just have to take care of myself. Susan begins to cry and walks away. Joe feels justified, so he just goes upstairs to the bedroom to change. Soon it's time for dinner. And so they both just focus on the kids, taking out their anger on the kids. Further, the oldest boy was forbidden to go outside and play since he was a complete mess all day. But Joe said to him, sure, you can go out and play. He undid everything Susan had been trying to teach him. Susan cleans up after dinner, gives the kids a bath, gets the kids to bed. Then she retires herself to bed, watching TV before she falls asleep. Joe goes up to the den and works until late hours of the night. Then when Susan is asleep, Joe goes to bed. The next day, neither Joe nor Susan bring up the previous day. They just press on with the next day. Was there any sin committed? What do you cover if Love covers a multitude of sins. What do you ignore or overlook? What do you deal with? And when do you deal with it? Because in their minds, the past was the past. That was yesterday. We just press on now. It's water under the bridge. Day after day, this is how their marriage is going. Now, I know a lot of folks where not all the details would be like that, but that would be like 80% of their week would be something like this. And, you know, for those of you, maybe you're, you're retired or maybe, you know, kids are out of the home. Um, you know, maybe you're, you don't deal with any of that, but you can just imagine any kind of scenario where you have been dealing with someone else and you just didn't, you just knew that something right was not happening, you know, that there's something off about your relationships. You're just being extra snarky, or you pick up an undertone from your boss that, you know, he's not happy with your work, or, you know, you, you talk to, it just, hopefully you can identify just with that realm of, was I sinned against? And if I was, wouldn't it just be better to maybe overlook it? not make a big deal about it. Just cover it and move on. And of course, the, the language here of covering comes, uh, there's actually a few places that, um, that speak of that verbiage. Um, but First Peter chapter 4, verse 8, maybe it's the most popularized one, uh, where, where Peter says, above all, this is First Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of, of sins. So the idea is that, or the implication seems to be to people to apply that, you just, there are, you just don't bring it up. You don't, you don't maybe deal with it, with the other person. Deal with it in your own heart. And of course, there are basically three, three ways to look at this. Like, 
the idea of covering a sin, it, it kind of overlaps with unconditional forgiveness in the sense you could look at it this way. I cover everything. I cover everything. Love covers a multitude of sins. I can cover anything. I can forgive anything. Anything that happens, I can forgive. And so whatever I am sort of willing to forgive, I can forgive. And guess what? My threshold for what I can put up with is super high, and therefore I can cover almost any sin against me. My, my, my husband can be um, the absolute you know, worst um, you know, drunkard and gambler, and I'm just going to forgive it. Or, um, yeah, well, you can, you can take that to whatever extreme, but it's kind of up to your tolerance or your ability because, you know, if the command to forgive is, let's say, uh, unconditional, then no matter what anyone does, I can cover it. I can forgive it. I can, I can let it go. Um, and that's a little bit of an overstatement, but that's, let's say that's option, you know, one. Um, Option two would be to think, uh, look at this, since it says a multitude, not every sin, is to say, well, there are some sins that you can cover and some that you can't. So, you know, maybe you cover, let's say, the real bad ones, or you cover the habitual ones, or you cover the ones that have a bigger consequence. So, um, you know, your kid lying about their grades has, you know, this much consequence, so maybe you just don't make a big deal. But your, you know, your your wife who does all the finances is saying, you know, I I lied about um, what I put on the tax forms with the IRS, you know, or something like that. And so now you're like, well, that has much bigger consequence, so I need to actually, you know, address that. Um, of course, that can get very subjective, right? How would you define the sins you ought to cover and the sins you ought not to cover? <clears throat> it ends up being a little bit um, dependent upon my judgment, the one that's sinned against. So if I have a high threshold for being sinned against, then I don't, you know, I can cover everything. But if I have a low threshold, I'm, uh, if you look at me the wrong way, I can't cover that. It really bothers me, so I'm going to have to tell you about it. So it can cut both ways. Ultimately, I think one of the problems with that kind of picking and choosing of what sins to cover um, is that people who are abused are conditioned to accept very grievous, very heinous sin and told, you need to forgive it. You need to just cover it. You know, I, I, horrific stories of abuse of, of children and young people in churches even by pastors and they will use those sorts of lines about, you know, just, just forgive it. You have to forgive me. It's unconditional. You don't have a choice about it. You've got to cover it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Don't you love me? Don't you love the church? Don't you love the Lord? You cover it. And that person can be convinced and persuaded to cover a sin that really subjective, you know, because they've been uh, subjugated and conditioned to, won't, will just forgive it. No, no transaction. That's one of the dangers, of course. <clears throat> well, the third option, and, you know, there can be a little bit of, like, um, of a spectrum on each of these. The, the third option would be to say that when we talk about even covering a sin, we're covering that which actually has been forgiven. Again, if forgiveness is transactional, then our sin has been taken care of. And really what these passages, again, there's a number of passages that talk about it. The, the passage about covering sin really mean that when you have forgiven someone that has actually confessed and repented, that you are saying, I'm not going to fall into the temptation or bitterness of bringing it up again in my mind or treating you as if you have still sinned against me. You're truly overlooking or covering a sin because it's been atoned for. It's been covered. It's been sealed. I've said, you've said you agree that, that you've sinned against me. I'm saying, thank you for, for, for coming and, and wanting to reconcile with me. I forgive you. And then thereafter, now that we've made that transaction, to not ever bring that up again against you. To not let that one sin multiply out because I've covered it. I've buried it. It's, it's done. Unless a person does it again. 
But barring that, to not just continually replay it in our mind. Because then I, I haven't truly restored the relationship. I'm saying actually the, the, the relationship hasn't been uh, healed and, and brought together. Now, there could be a time and a process uh, to that um, to that really feeling of it, but it is to say when you cover it that I'm going to do all I can as the one that was offended to not bring it up in my own mind and dwell on it and think of how you've offended me. If I've told you, I've forgiven it. So now for a couple of examples of this, uh, look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a classic psalm of David asking or talking about forgiveness. We'll start in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression, uh, Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In other words... He had sinned. If God's forgiveness is unconditional in the sense that he was forgiven, whether he confessed it or not, why is he wasting away? Why is he in such despair? Why is he feeling even physiologically this this sadness? When did things get better? I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. In other words, he was trying to cover up his own iniquity rather than God confessing to God and having God cover, forgive and cover his iniquity. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover, or you could say I stopped trying to cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. After confession, then he could feel the protective covering of knowing that God was not going to hold this against him, wasn't going to punish him later, that truly it had been taken care of because, not because it was by default forgiven, just because, hey, I sinned, and I know God forgives unconditionally, so I can just act like, no, until he confessed, until he acknowledged it wasn't covered. He was trying to cover it. Similarly, James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, Hebrews, or I'm sorry, uh, James chapter 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So when does the covering of the multitude of sins happen? It happens after that person has been brought back. In other words, that person has been sinning. That's what the wandering refers to. Bringing them back means you called them out on their sinning. They said, oh, I am going the wrong direction. I don't want to go down this path You're right, I'm coming back with you. Then what happens? The soul is saved from death and his multitude of sins will have been covered. So all that to say, I do think that uh, one of the things that can, practically speaking, help us in our understanding of forgiveness is not only that there is a transaction to it, that while I should have a gracious, forgiving, merciful, kind spirit to anyone who sins against me, for sure, and a willingness and a desire to pursue reconciliation and restoration until the transaction of forgiveness has happened, we cannot truly say that our relationship has been restored. And, and, and thus, to cover a multitude of sins, let's go back to Joe and Susan, all right? <laughs> um, <laughs> say they're sitting in front of you. They want some advice, Okay. What would you tell them? I mean, I hear that scenario, and it sounds like just like death by a thousand cuts, right? Oh, you were just dealt a bad hand that day. I mean, yeah, I can, I can see why both of you. 
acted the way you did. I mean, it must have been frustrating for both of you, and yes, it's easy to see it from your own perspective. And I think it's tempting to say, you know what, you guys just, when you have a bad day like that, you just don't say anything. You just cover it up. You just don't, you know, don't, don't make a big deal about it. But I, I think the problem with that is, if the goal is restoration, if the goal is sanctification, us being more like Christ, more holy, I can guarantee you, if you cover it up one day, what's going to happen the next week? You're going to keep telling him, cover it up? What will happen if you're counseling them like, you know, regular counseling session, you just keep telling them to cover, cover it up, They're, you're going to get bitterness rise up. Or you can get them lying to you, right? Or they're going to stop telling you things. It, it, it is maybe a harsh thing to say, but we do want to address, again, it's easier to think of it in terms of, I want to have like a clean, pure relationship with everyone. Whether it's, I get, someone cuts me off on the, on the road, I want to be right with that guy. That should be our desire, not get even with the guy, not, you know, condemn the guy, not, you know, Lord, please strike, you know, him with a bolt of lightning. No, I mean, there should be in all of our hearts, when sin is involved, a desire for restoration and reconciliation. I think that's really at the heart of it, because I, I, I know that some people are going to say, well, when, when you tell them, you know, Actually, if, you know, you, you, you have like a day like Joe and Susan had to talk about it and talk about how, where there might have been sin or where there might have been a judgment of someone else's attitude or not, not really understanding, they're going to say stuff like, it's not a big deal. You know, other people have it so much worse than us. I'm thick-skinned. I can, I can handle it. Um, you know, if I just keep counting up, you know, love keeps no records of wrongs. And it's funny how we can make a lot of excuses and just understand that when you start making a lot of excuses about why you shouldn't do something, guess what? That's probably the thing you should do. I mean, that's, I find that true like 99 times out of 100. The, the thing I, I most don't want to do is usually the thing I want to do. And I hate confronting people. I hate telling people, maybe you did something wrong, you didn't treat me right. I'd, I'd rather almost sometimes be the one that was wrong. But what's wrong with that mentality too? Is if I assume, well, if I would rather be wrong and let you get away with sin, who gets sanctified? Neither of us. That person doesn't grow in their faith and I am now trying to sanctify myself of your sin. And I can't. You know, I can't be purified of someone else's sin. I can't take someone else's sin on myself. And so I do think um, it is imperative, actually, for us to uh, understand that when we talk about covering sins, it's not giving a pass to sin. It, it should never be a pass to sin. And the way you get to that belief or conviction is to say, I want to be right with people, not just shamming it, not peace faking, not just pretending like things are okay, but I legitimately want to be right with people in my soul, not pretending like we're okay, but really being okay. And that means that sin has to be taken care of. We can't just cover it unless the sin has been dealt with and forgiveness has been made one to another. But the most important part of this, I think, is to do this in humility, to do this not in a self-righteous way, but as a fellow sinner and sufferer. Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> this is where Jesus talks about, you know, forgiveness and, and reconciling and restoring with a brother. And, and he says this, if your brother, uh, this is Matthew 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What is the goal that we have when I want to go tell a brother his sins against me? What is my goal? Is it to be right? <laughs> is it to be self-righteous? Is it to say, ha ha, 
you know, in your face, you were wrong, I was right, I told you so. Is that the goal or the desire of this person seeking reconciliation with someone who sinned against them? It's to gain. It's to gain your brother. It's to say, my life is better if you are in it. (laughs) This person who sinned against me, my life is better if you are in it. And I want you, I want to gain you, I want to win you, I want to have you as a friend, as a relationship. I am better off if you are with me. And so because of that, I'm willing to say, you know, I think, I think we have sin between us. I think you've done me wrong in this way. Now, that is uh, almost a selfish attitude. You know, I want to gain a brother, but uh, it's a win-win attitude, <laughs> The attitude coming to is, I want both of us to win in this. That's what proper restoration and reconciliation is. I want both of us to gain from this. And so when you come into the situation, just getting to maybe some practical things real fast, when you come into a situation where you are having to either ask forgiveness or ask someone, you know, to... to um, to apologize to you, the first thing that we want to do always is look in the mirror, right? What did, what did Jesus say about the log and about the, um, the what am I saying? thinking of toothpick, but <laughs> the, the, the twig, what, is, what does the ESV say? <laughs> so pl- the plank and the, um, the stick, let me see what the, I, I've memorized this in a lot of different Versions, so I'm curious if I, if uh, what what it says in ESV. ESV says, "Let me a speck, right? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye?'" And I just, I just love that imagery. Just imagine me trying to take something as delicate as a speck out of your eye, and I have just this log protruding out of both of my eyes, and I say, "Let me help you with that." That is what it's like if you come into a a situation where there is sin between you and another. That is what it would be like if you came into it without first examining your heart. Now, maybe, is there anything that I did wrong in this situation? Maybe I need to bring that up first. If there's anything wrong I did, even if I'm 1% of the problem, to come in and own 100% of that 1% and then bring up, and if I'm understanding this correctly, you know, you've sinned against me in this way. But even then, we are finite people. Ask questions about motivation. You cut me off on the freeway. You know, instead of immediately accusing, maybe say, you know, a question like, oh, was that even you on the freeway there? You know, they pulled up next to each other in the church. You know, oh, was, you know, was, that, was that you? I, I think, you know, maybe you, you, cut, you, you cut in front of me pretty fast. Were you in a rush? There's no need to just start off with accusations. There's so much grace and mercy and how we can live a life of forgiveness where we're truly wanting to have good, pure, whole, restored relationships with those who have sinned against us where it doesn't have to be like we're the Gestapo, you know, looking for every sin that you're doing against me, Um, nor to excuse, well, you know, I don't want someone nitpicking me in every single interaction I have with them, so I'm not going to nitpick every single interaction this other person has with me. But think about that. I, I want to know if I'm annoying you. You know, I, I, I want to know if you think I have, like, bad breath or if there's something I say or do that really bugs you or bothers you such that you don't want to be around me. I think it would be a kind thing for you not to just... Covered, even if it's not a sinful thing, particularly. I, I want to have a good relationship with the body of Christ. That's my goal. That's why we should uh, think this way, is because in our unity, in our love for each other, that's how the world will know we are Christ's disciples. So, I know, kind of rushed through a, a lot of that. Um, of course, one of the major things is when, if we're gonna, gonna bother trying to, you know, say that, you know, maybe you've sinned against me in this way, can't be subjective. You better be able to point to some scriptures to say why, or else it's just your, your opinion, you know? Like, I could find a million ways to be offended by what stuff you're doing, but maybe my uh, conscience is off. 
because it's not tuned to what God says is right and wrong. So I want to be careful and make sure that I can say, well, you know, you lied to me. And the Bible says, like, God is not a liar. You know, the truth is in him. And so um, is there a reason you lied to me? Or maybe I misunderstood. Maybe you didn't lie at all. I, but I, I just want to know, can we talk about that? Because I want to have a relationship of trust with you. <clears throat> so we'll stop there. We covered a lot of ground, I know. Uh, any questions or thoughts about that? Um, you know, do, does that help in any way at all? Are you, you know, thinking of ways that uh, maybe you've suffered because there hasn't really been a transaction of forgiveness? And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people say that they've forgiven someone when really they haven't. I mean, I think if you haven't transacted it, you're still in the space where you need to focus on mercy and kindness to someone who's offended and hurt you and not think that our relationship is restored. Or what would be worse is to pretend like a relationship's restored, that you're just kind of acting mercifully and kind to, but you're kind of doing that fake covering of sin, really. If the relationship's not actually restored, um, then your mercy and kindness, if it hasn't brought along with it a call to hey, you've sinned against me, it's going to become a root of bitterness. So, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it, it can, it can. So a part of um, repentance, truly confessing and agreeing, would be the marks of repentance. So in 2 Corinthians 7, this is another reason to think that forgiveness is like somewhat transactional, um, not necessarily monetarily, but in a first, or 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, Paul says, um, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief over your sin against someone else produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what er eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you've proved yourself innocent in the matter. In other words, the one who is asking forgiveness, um, who is confessing, I've done wrong to you, they should have a, a, a godly grief, a godly repentance that seeks to like clear you know, the account, so to speak. Now, what if uh, I'm in a situation I cannot pay you back? The monetary sum, let's say, you know, I, I stiffed you out of 100,000 bucks. Well, you know, maybe godly grief and repentance would be like, I can give you 10 bucks a month until I die. That's as good as I can do. If I make more money, we can up that amount. But see, that would be an evidence that I actually want to make it uh, right, you know, with you. For your part, I think, you know, if that was a scenario, um, gracious forgiveness might say, you know, I know you can't pay it back, but it should not, I shouldn't presume upon that. You know, both of us should be seeking to honor God. So that, that should mean, you know, you maybe not expecting anything, but me saying, but I, I have to, because I want to clear my name, so to speak, and my reputation with others. So that's a good question. Any other thoughts or questions of Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's why I think the kind of transactional aspect is helpful. And we didn't get into it too much, but there's, um, you know, dealing with Christians versus non-Christians, I think there's a distinction a little bit. Matthew 18 talks about, of course, how you deal with Christians. But um, the Bible doesn't actually say, like, almost anything about what it means in your dealings with non-Christians, what it means to, like, like hold them to some kind of like standard of forgiveness. Uh, in, in other words, I, I think we, we would be in the place where God is with unrepentant sinners, right? Um, where, where God is patient with them. He patiently endures non-repentant sinners. He is offering out, um, according to uh, Psalm 86, uh, 5, 
I'll just read it for you, and we'll start to, to wrap here. But Psalm 86.5, look what uh, the psalmist says about the Lord. Um, Psalm 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So he is, he's a forgiving God. He's, he's waiting for us to ask for forgiveness. He'd eagerly do it. Um, but in that kind of scenario, I think there is, I think sometimes what needs to replace a false notion of forgiveness, like, like, you know, someone, you know, say your mother did something bad to you and then she died. You know, can you transact that forgiveness? And I would say, I don't, I don't think you can. You can't restore that relationship anymore, right? She's gone. But what you can do is um, have a merciful, gracious attitude towards your, your mother. Um, and that that um, mercy and grace can sustain you more than like a false notion that you've you know, forgiven something that you haven't really because the relationship's not restored, so to speak. Yeah, Bing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true too. That's true. Is 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 you can in in a way let it go because you cannot restore the relationship, um, and 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 it's very freeing to say, you know what, I can be thankful. I can still be thankful for you know my mother. You know this is not true of me personally, but you know if my mother uh, were on bad terms, she dies. Um, you know to say, well, I cannot restore this relationship ever. But what I can do is look for how God blessed me with through my mother. And be thankful for what God did through her, um, but I, you know, I cannot be reconciled to her. I cannot be restored. If she was a believer, then there's a hope. Then in heaven, yes. But if not a believer, then, you know, I, you know, there, there is a, there's a difference. You know, um, just like someone who's dead cannot transact with God anymore. Um, that forgiveness either. So I don't know if that helps, uh, but I, I understand. Like, there's a lot of soul searching to do here sometimes when you just hold something against someone. Even if they've offered forgiveness, even if I've. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that's the difference between us and God, too, is God can, like we said this morning, know our hearts shower us with grace and say he forgives us and he knows whether we are meant it or not he can do that but us what do you do when you're dealing with someone that seems kind of like a huckster you know or, or someone that can kind of schmooze you know what do you do well unfortunately we don't know people's hearts perfectly that's why you have a little bit of a expectation of godly grief at least if they're a professing believer what we just read in second corinthians 7 that they should evidence some zeal some desire to clear their name and if that's kind of lacking and emptying to say well Maybe we're not truly forgiven then. Our relationship's not truly restored because I think you're just jamming me. But I can still be gracious and kind even to my enemies. So um, if they ever want to really ask for forgiveness, then I'm right here. Maybe I need to say, you know, you're saying that you're sorry for what you did, but you're kind of still doing it. So I want a restored relationship. But if you don't really want that, then you got to be honest about it too. And of course, if they're saying they're a believer and they keep sinning, we got... Matthew 18, then, you know, do I need to maybe bring another person and, and, and let's talk about this in a group? And then if they keep sinning, then we get a church discipline him. Um, so I think there's a way, but, you know, yeah, I'm thinking of just some friends and relationships that I've had where I felt kind of betrayed and I think I've forgiven. I think they've said all the right things, but it's just not the way it was. And it's hard not to, for it to come up in my mind and for me to be bitter or upset. And uh, I, I think... If Jesus can love us, even when we screw up and stumble and fall in our repentance and forgiveness with him, then I can be the same with others uh, who maybe are falling short in their relationship with me. And so I think thinking of it relationally, like you know the difference between someone that's really trying to make it work with you and someone that's just kind of like kicking the can down the road. And if they don't really want a relationship with you, it's okay to say like, well, you know, you've offended me, you've hurt me. Um, you said you're sorry, but you don't seem to want a relationship with me, so that's, that's okay too. I mean, 
In the church, it's a little bit more awkward to do that. Um, but if it's someone that you just, you know, smash on the freeway or something, you know, you, you know I'm never going to see you again. So, hey, we, if you actually didn't forgive me or we're just making that up, I don't know what to do about that. But in my heart, you know, I'll work on that. Maybe I'll think of you every time I see that dent in my car. I'm going to try before the Lord just to forgive it and say that you, you forgave and I need to treat it that way. Anyway, so we you know, can't cover necessarily every nuance, but just wanted to cover the idea of transactional forgiveness and covering um, or not covering up sin, but truly covering it once it's been forgiven. Vivian, last, last comment, yeah. Oh, for the first time, I, I tracked that they should be the definition of Yeah. Debt forgiveness, yeah, yeah. To, to yeah, yeah. So in that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, well, well, the thing is, is, is God angry with us that he's forgiven? He's not. Sure, sure. But... But I can, I can do that with my enemy who has never asked or recognized their sin against me. I think when we talk about biblical forgiveness, we are talking about a restoration of a relationship. Um, we forgive the way he forgave us. So if I'm only forgiving, but I'm still angry with you, or if I'm only forgiving, but we're not actually restored, is that the kind of forgiveness that I want between me and God, where he's still angry with me and actually we're not, you know, on good terms. Well, that's not the kind of forgiveness God shows me. He shows me, he adopts me into his family, even though I'm kind of kicking and screaming about it. Um, so I think we want to be very careful, especially since those are kind of like non-biblical definitions of, of forgiveness. We want to use the Bibles, especially Ephesians chapter 1, 7, we looked at today. In him is the redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which he lavished upon us. All grace. So, well, yeah, on, on the condition, right, right. So we are not forgiven if we have not received. You know, let's say that. Yes, being. I know we're going long. So, right, right. So it's, it's that's a transaction. Yeah. Right. Right, and, and Revelation 21 is very clear. Uh, Revelation 21 says that as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In other words, their sins are held against them. That's why they're going into the lake of fire. So these people's sins were not forgiven because they're going in as murderers, liars, idolaters, and so on. Um, we are not saved apart from, you know, repentance, you know, confession and belief in, in Jesus. So, I mean, you can believe that and be a Calvinist, you know, we, we have to. What else, what other choice we have? Uh, well, that, that's, the, that's the thing is the Bible doesn't necessarily say a whole lot about forgiving uh, unbelievers per se. Um, it, most of it is between believers, actually, the, the idea of forgiveness. <laughs> well, so I, I would say this, <laughs> but the, the attitude again is, is uh, the mercy and the care and the kindness. You know, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And so for even our enemies, mercy, uh, an attitude of willingness to forgive. And, you know, I, I think you can, you know, not to get, yeah, I know we're, we're going long, but I, the, the, the subject of forgiveness is so necessary. If a non-Christian says, I'm so sorry for hitting your car, 
uh, I'll admit, I was angry with you. And then as soon as I did it, I realized how dumb that was. You know, we're standing on the side of the freeway. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, I, I forgive you. Thanks for acknowledging that. And I would talk about being a Christian. You know, I, I know they mean it one way. They're not going to have all this theology about it. I'm just going to be gracious and take their apology, you know. But, you know, I'm not going to start a whole Bible study about, like, biblical forgiveness and all that. Um, but, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to say, you know, I've been forgiven a lot by God, you know. Yeah, so I, I think that is kind of like a, like, a, like a prayer request almost, you know, like, Lord, and they did. Like, they came to a place, the same people, Acts chapter 2, Peter presents the gospel. They said, what must we do to be saved? You know, repent and be baptized. So they still needed to confess. They were not forgiven based on what Jesus, let's say, said. They were forgiven on the basis of Peter saying, you must repent and, you know, confess and, and agree. So um, there's still that aspect is there. Yeah, yeah, Stephen, same thing, where, where he's kind of like a prayer to not hold this against them. Um, but it's a, it's a prayer. It's not necessarily like Stephen commanding God, like, don't, you know, forgive them. It's not like he's ordering God around with that, so. That's very helpful. The distinguishes between a prayer versus a command. Sure, sure. Um, okay. Let me pray. And uh, if you have more questions, we'll talk about it over dinner. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you ultimately for your forgiveness. It can get so hard because, you know, we, we don't always just think purely and, and godly and holy, get our emotions and uh, frustrations mixed up in there with the, the help of, uh, you know, ADHD, just thoughts going into your head, remembering offenses people have made that you thought you forgave, all those things, Lord. By the grace of God, we know that if we truly believe We've been forgiven by you. That is going to make our own heart and attitude of forgiving so much the better. And so I do pray, Lord, that uh, we would first of all understand the great um, separation that our sin has and, and our grief against you has caused and the great uh, pains you took to restore, restore us to yourself through Jesus' blood, that that would be the model. That would be the example of how we want to be forgiving and have a forgiving attitude towards others. And so help us, Lord, to remember that. We pray, Lord, again, your blessing on our time together as we eat and drink and fellowship around the table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.